I would love for you to take your Bibles and open those to Mark's Gospel. Our sermon title for today is Remember, and I need you to remember that we are in the Gospel of Mark. We have divided it into four sections, and we are starting section number three today. This section is called An Anointed Ascent, or The Anointed Ascent. And as we look at Mark 8, we are encouraged to remember the faithfulness of God. It's really easy to forget things. I'm really good at forgetting. I'm really good at not keeping up with things. I had a tile on my keychain. Anyone use the tile? If you're unfamiliar, it's this thing that lets you keep up with various items that you are consistently forgetting. The problem is you have to remember to put a new battery in said tile, or it is an issue. One of the things that we have in 2022 that people have never had uh, until recently is the the idea of an internet that continually reminds you of certain things. This thing called time hop, or maybe it's memories on one of your social media feeds. And if you are on either of these things, you will get pictures. Google Photos is another one. They will give you reminders of things that happened 10 to 12 years ago. Things that happened five, six years ago. Things that you had no idea were 10 to 12 or five or six years ago. I pulled into our house last night. I'd ran by the church. I go home and Hope's in the front yard and she's watering this flower bed that we can, for whatever reason, not... I just want to get rid of it and cover it with AstroTurf like the Brady's. But when I, I pull in, this grown man walks out of my garage. And I thought, why is there a grown man at my house right now? And it was Shepard. He is this full-grown man. And I'm staring at him. Why is this monster here? And he is full-grown. He's just this huge person in my garage. Why is there a huge person there forgetting things? We are really, really prone to forget how quickly time can fly. How fast life happens to move and why life may be moving that quickly. We forget that God has been faithful to us. When we forget that God has been faithful to us, it will impact the way that we interact with our world. If we have a big idea for today's sermon from Mark chapter 8, I want us just to be encouraged with this truth that we see from Scripture. When we forget that Jesus meets needs, we look to meet them in the worst places. When we forget that Jesus meets needs, we look to meet them in the worst places. Mark chapter 8, pick up with me. We're going to verses 1 through 21. This story may sound familiar, but it's not. In those days, there was again a, a large crowd. And they had nothing to eat. He called the disciples and he said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they've already stayed with me three days and they have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way and some of them, they've come a long distance. His disciples answered him, Where can anyone get enough bread here in this desolate place to feed these people? Well, how many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they said. Well, he commanded the crowd, sit down on the ground, taking the seven loaves. He gave them, broke them, and he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. So they served them to the crowd. They also had a few small fish. 
And after he'd blessed them, he said they were to be served as well. They ate and they were satisfied. Then they collected seven large baskets of leftover pieces. About 4,000 were there. He dismissed them and he immediately got into the boat with his disciples and went into the district of Dalmanutha. Uh, The Pharisees came and they began to argue with him demanding of him a sign from heaven to test him, sighing deeply in his spirit. He said, why does this generation demand a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. Then he left them. He got back in the boat, and he went to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to take bread. They only had one loaf with them in the boat. Then he gave them strict orders. He watched, wow, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. They were discussing among themselves. They did not have any bread. Aware of this, he said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Don't you understand or comprehend? Do you have hardened hearts? Do you have eyes and not see? Do you have ears and not hear? And do you not remember... When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, and how many baskets full of leftovers did you collect? Well, we collected 12, they said. When I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you collect? Well, we collected seven, they said. And he said to them, don't you understand yet? When we look at the idea of remembering in this text, there are things that I want us to take note of as we go. Because we're talking about the idea of remembering that God meets us in our insufficiency and he meets our needs, I want to encourage us with the truths of this text and I hope that they will be things that we can rest in this week rather than run from. The first thing we see is that Jesus meets needs. So if we're going to remember something from this text, remember that Jesus meets needs. He meets spiritual needs. He also meets physical needs. And I don't want us to overlook that. A lot of time, for those of us who fall under this subset of Christians called evangelicals, we believe in the person of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, we believe in the the literalness of the Bible, we can spiritualize the Bible to the point where we cancel out the fact that people are are in physical peril. They're going through physical things, difficult things, difficult physical situations, and there may be needs that need to be met. In those days, a large crowd. We have seen Jesus with a large crowd before, but this crowd has nothing to eat. They've been hanging out with Jesus for three days, and he said to them, I've got compassion on this crowd. He looks at the crowd of 4,000 people. He's stirred by the crowd. He sees that they have a need. And what is their need? Well, they have numerous needs. But they have one that is very obvious. These people are hungry. And if you've ever been around hungry people who have been hungry for three days, they are not just hungry, they are hangry. And we all know what hangry means. Just upset by the fact that there is nothing for them to eat. And he has compassion. The word compassion in the New Testament is this word that means a stirring. There is a a movement in his soul as he considers what they are going through. And Jesus is going to meet this physical need. Now ultimately he'll do more than that. But this physical need is an entry point for this crowd. They've come to hear Jesus. They have heard of the things that Jesus may have done and why he would have done them. Jesus sees that they have a need and he meets it. 
some of our mission partners here at our church, especially the local ones, I just want you to be reminded of how important they are, the impact that they happen to be having in our community. We have a relationship through our mission giving. You have given to mission, and we've mentioned as a church how we're working working toward, toward paying off our debt, and there have been some conversations, well, does that mean that we're going to take away from blank? Well, no, we don't take away from blank. We're going to keep giving to this, keep giving to that, and keep things in front of us as a congregation. Some of those ministry partners that we have are things like Texas Port Ministry. Chris Moore and his family, they're here regularly with us on Sundays. And if I were to ask Chris a question about the value of meeting the physical needs at Texas Port Ministry, he would tell you that's incredibly important. Steve Korn is one of our elders. His wife, Miranda, is, directs this uh, organization called Refuge for Women. And she would let you know very quickly the important work that they're doing and what that means for them to meet actual daily physical needs that will help and serve to see spiritual needs met either in that moment or down the road. We've got numerous people here who have served and given and even people who are on the board at the Pregnancy Help Center. They would let you know very quickly that there are physical needs that need to be met when someone comes to them. Physical needs are a part of our conversation as people who follow after Jesus. And if we look at the life of Jesus and we see that Jesus seems to care for those who are hurting physically in ways that are manifesting in that moment as these people are standing hungry on a grassy knoll, then we should care about physical needs. We should care about people who are hurting We should care about lament. We should care about brokenness. We should care about people who feel as if they are not cared for, as if they have been mistreated. We should care about everyday physical needs as followers of Jesus because Jesus consistently does so. Jesus meets these needs. His disciples said to him, Hey, um... Where can anyone get enough bread in this desolate place to feed these people? How many loaves you got? We read this and we're thinking to ourselves, didn't we just hear Jared preach a better version of this sermon a few weeks ago? Didn't Jared preach on Jesus feeding 5,000 people? Did we not just take a look at this text? There's some different things that are happening and I want to bring those up to us because I think it's helpful for us. The feeding of the 5,000 took place at Bethsaida, this primarily Jewish place. Here, we're feeding 4,000 at Dalmanutha. It's only mentioned one time in the New Testament. It's different. It's Magdala. Some people may say, is that a made-up place? Why, you may say that because every historical critic of the Bible has said that. Well, no, it's not a made-up place. It's a place that you can kind of tell that Peter's been around much of his life as he gives this account to Mark. It's this little place that no one knows about down Manutha. My dad grew up in this place called Whitwell, and they pronounced it Whitwell. And if, you cor- if they heard someone say it on the news, they would say they said it incorrectly because they're making fun of us. It's not Whitwell, it's Whitwell. And I'll say, I don't know what you're even talking about, Dad. But they have these little crevices there, this place called the Pocket, this place called the Creek. And, and my dad knew of those places. I just knew the area. The writer of the book of Mark is referencing something more than likely that is unique to him because of who he is and because of the account that he's getting from Peter. Different people. There are 5,000 in Jewish crowd, more than likely around 20,000. Here you have 4,000. It's people. That's the word that's there. It's lots of Gentiles. Different numbers. You have 12 baskets for the Jewish people. You have 7 baskets here. 
You've got a different kind of basket here. The word basket's there a couple of times in the account that Jared dealt with a few weeks ago. It's this small word. It's still the word basket, but it's the word basket here. It gets an understood large basket. Words are weird. We do weird things with words. I want to give you an example. If I were to give you the definition of the word buggy, I would read a small motor vehicle, typically with an open top. Or a stroller for a baby or a young child. A buggy can also mean an infestation, to be infested with bugs. I hope not. Uh, Another word could be crazy or insane. But when I hear the word buggy, I don't think about any of those words. Here's what I think of. That's a buggy. And for those of you from the Midwest, I know I sound like a pork chop. That's what a buggy looks like. That's what we call them. A grocery car. It's a buggy. My Mississippi people know it's a buggy. That's a grocery buggy. You have a buggy. I just got a wow from you. That's the most interaction I've ever had in this room. You preach reform people for five years and things just happen. Okay. You look at the text and you see the word basket is unique here. You have a small basket in one place. You have a large basket. It's the same exact thing. That We're using the same word to talk about different things. It's the same word that we read of with Paul in the, gospel, in the book of Mark. He's in a large basket. That's the word that's used there. There's a lot of different things taking place in this text with these numbers. But Jesus is about to do something that's even more important than the differences. He's going to do the same thing for a different crowd of people to make a different point. For the Jewish people, he's showing everything that Jared said in this sermon. He is the one who, who Psalm 23 spoke of. Here Jesus makes a point that is aligned with that, but, is, but supersedes it because he's showing, showing that he is the provider for all people who are far from him. This Gentile crowd is important for us to notice. Now, in, Matthew, in Mark chapter 7, we have Jesus and the Seraphonician woman and that story about the dogs at the table and how Jesus, everyone thinks Jesus insulted her because they're on TikTok and you probably should not be on TikTok. The Seraphonician woman asked for the Gentiles to eat at the table. Right here, we're seeing a transition in the story to Jesus opening this table wide open. Because he's showing that he can do for Gentiles what he has promised to do for the Jewish people. Seven, they said. He commanded the crowd to sit down on the ground. That's this resting place, which is kind of weird when you consider that they are starving people. There's nothing restful about being hungry. Taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks, he broke them, and he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. So they served them to the crowd. They also had a few small fish, the word sardine. Kind of like a sardine, if you've ever seen a sardine. My 11-year-old Charlie likes sardines because he's a different person. He blessed them. Those were served as well. They ate and they were satisfied. Then they collected seven large baskets of leftover pieces, these massive baskets. We're seeing in this passage that with Jesus, we always have plenty. There's plenty here. There's plenty. 
He's asking the disciples to align themselves with the fact that he provides in this text. He is always abounding in plentiful provision. 4,000 were there. He dismissed them. He got into his boat, in verse 10, with the disciples. And they went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came, and they began to argue with him, demanding of him a sign from heaven to test him. How often, when we read through the Gospels, do we see Jesus doing incredible stuff? How often, if you were not there in the days of Jesus doing incredible stuff, would you have overheard of said incredible stuff? How often, if you are the pinnacle for religious understanding, would you have heard of the incredible things that Jesus did first? The Pharisees don't want a sign. They've been getting signs. John, he raises Lazarus from the dead. They even admit it. They said in verse 47, what are we going to do? Because he just keeps doing signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away our place and our nation. Here's a question that I overheard this week and it just stayed with me. What else are, is there to do when someone's mind is made up? They've decided that Jesus isn't who they want. So what else are they going to do other than just keep bothering him? What else is there to do? They wanted Jesus and every element of Jesus that you get from the conquering pictures of prophecy in the Old Testament. But somehow they were missing what was subversive is that Jesus is also the suffering servant. He, they wanted all of the highs and none of the lows. They don't want a sign, they want a puppet. And if we're honest, that's what we want a lot of times too when it comes to Jesus. Jesus, just do the trick that I need you to do. Say the thing that I need you to say. Could you just make this go away? How much easier would it be if Jesus just did the stuff we wanted him to do immediately? Their reason for wanting signs are so odd. They want signs to trap him. They want signs to test him. It's just a sham. We would like a sign. They've had so many. Verse 12. Sighing. Deeply, I am grateful for G that Jesus sighed because it does not mean that I'm sinning when I do. He gives out this exhausted, frustrated groan. Why do they want a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. The phrase, truly, I tell you, is very helpful for us. And the way that it's said is kinder because we keep taking things from the original language. It gets to the King James. And when it gets to whatever translation we're functioning out of, 
It seems nice. This is Jesus saying bluntly and boldly, hey, this is the way it is. I'm not giving them a sign. This is it. Because everything they've gotten that would see that I am, I'm not worried about them. This is the way it is. Now that doesn't mean he's going to stop doing the things that he happens to be doing. It just means I'm not concerned for them and you should not be either. Then he left them and he got back in the boat and he went back to the other side. Back to Gentiles. He goes back. And as they're going, they're in this trip from one place to the other. And Jesus, in what you would consider would be a restful moment, slyly teaches the disciples. Verse 14. We can see in the text that we're very much like the disciples and that we need to remember how forgetful we are. The disciples, they'd forgotten to take bread. And they only had one loaf with them in the boat. They're concerned because they don't have bread. If there is anything these men should not be concerned about, it's bread. Jesus makes it rain bread every other chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Bread is there. They're about the bread. It's always about the one who gives it. Their problem and my problem is I get so caught up in what I want from God that I miss who is the one who gives that. They'd forgotten to take bread. They only had one loaf. <laughs> They're staring at them. You know what? Um. Jesus just addresses it. I, I, it does, I, I don't think he sighs again, but in my heart he does. He gave them strict orders. Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. That's a bread word. If we'll remember, the main idea that we pursue in this text is that when we forget that Jesus meets needs, we will look to meet those needs in the worst places. Here in this text, the disciples look at their meager loaf of bunny bread. And they don't think that they have enough. And Jesus is directing their hearts to remember. Don't look to see your needs satisfied in other places. What's leaven? I'll give you a breakdown as someone who's never prepared bread in my life. Leaven is, is 
Ordinary leaven consists of a lump of old dough in a high state of fermentation which was mixed in the mass of dough prepared for baking. The leaven causes decay and and gas begins to expand inside of the dough. And that's why we are gifted with bread that rises. Unless the cinnamon rolls in your freezer have been there for far too long and they don't. Personal reference. The Pharisees, so you, you know that, you hear that. We can acknowledge that together as a people. Jesus would use the idea of leaven because the Jewish people had the notion of unleavened bread. They were told and given specific directions as to, not, as to using unleavened bread, bread that would not rise. Why? Because this idea of leaven in certain situations represents corruption. Jesus is saying to the disciples... Don't let the Pharisees and don't let the Herodians corrupt you when you are in places and you think you're in need. You're going to think you're in need because you've got that bread and you've forgotten what just happened 10 minutes ago and 45 minutes ago when I gave 5,000 and 4,000 people. And you, I, what am I going to do? I've just got this little bit of bread. And Jesus is in those moments. Those heavy heavy moments of questioning, those heavy moments of consideration, don't forget that I meet needs. Just don't. The Pharisees have these weird beliefs about Jesus. And it's so weird when you read about the Pharisees and the Herodians and them tag-teaming Jesus in the Bible because they hated each other. We're talking Red Sox, Yankees, Longhorns, A&M, Alabama, and everybody. They believe that from the Pharisees believe this for the Messiah to come, you've got to get rid of all the sinners and all the drunkards. The Herodians believe that for Messiah to come, you just need to become a sinner and a drunkard. This, these two groups don't get along. But at their heart, they got the same issue it's hypocrisy. The Pharisees were unique in that they wanted to appear. Godly. And if we're not giving attention to it, the desire to be godly can be replaced in us by the desire for people to think that we're godly. Matthew breaks down the Pharisees in Matthew's gospel. He wrote that. As he talks about what they want and the minimal things that they would do to get attention without actually doing anything that mattered. They were seated in the chair of Moses, therefore do whatever they therefore do whatever they tell you and observe it. But it, it don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach, Jesus says. They keep tying up heavy loads on you and, and put them on people's shoulders, but but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. They do everything to be seen by others. They, they enlarge their phylacteries and they lengthen their tassels. They are spiritually giving off the idea that they are significant. They love the place of honor at banquets, the front seat in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and they love to be called rabbi in public. Jesus is addressing in Matthew 23 as he prepares us to read through those woes. These Pharisees, they want to seem to be spiritual when there ain't a bit of spirituality there. 
I think that we would do ourselves a favor to wrestle with the Pharisee in us sometimes. They're discussing among themselves in verse 16 that they don't have any bread. And they're sitting there with the bread. Verse 18, 17, aware of this, he said to them, why are you discussing the fact you have no bread? Don't you understand and don't you comprehend? Do you have hardened hearts? Do you have eyes and not see? Do you have ears and not hear? Do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of leftovers did you collect? Well, 12. That's how I read that. Remember all he is... Verse 20. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets of pieces did you collect? Seven. And he said to them, Don't you get it? It is significant and it is helpful and it is beneficial for us as the people of God to remember all that God has done for us. Have you forgot that lately? talking to a pastor friend this week he's preaching at his church today and he and he's they're closing out their their seniors and the, because of their school year and the way that it falls and he gets to talk to them about remembering walking with jesus and he's just walking through things that he wants them to remember in those moments of despair do you remember when you trusted in jesus when he met you Maybe you had never placed your faith in Christ and Jesus in his providence and in his mercy and in his compassion, he met you there. Maybe you were like me. You just grew up in a home where you needed people to, to meet your needs because that happened a lot for us. People would come alongside of my family because we were in a really rough spot. But I can remember people meeting our needs. Maybe you were like me. I'm seven years older than Hope. She liked for me to keep that in front of people. So I was 29 when we got married. I was like, am I ever going to get married? I mean, I know that I'm attractive. What's wrong with these women? And I remember when God met that need. Over and over and over, we have story after story after story after story of God meeting needs. And we're so quick to forget that he met us. And we're quick to overlook that he's not left us. Remember everything that he's done. I want to count to three, and we're going to all say out loud together, really weird, that's okay. A time when God met a need for you. One, two, three, go. Don't forget. I think that um, you may be like the disciples, though, and it's okay sitting in the boat and looking at what you got and thinking that it's not enough. Just because Jesus sighs doesn't mean that he leaves. Maybe for you, you've never had communion explained. It's a big deal for us. 
It's, so it's as big of a deal as baptism is. Because when we're baptized, we're saying that I am walking with Jesus. It is this bold declaration. I'm going to walk with Jesus. And every time we take communion, we're remembering what we said when we said we were going to walk with Jesus. We're remembering how He invited us to walk. We're remembering the steps He's given us to take. We're remembering how He gave us the opportunity to take Him. We're remembering that blood was shed and the body was broken so that we could be one with God. So I'm a really pro-communion person. If, if you're here and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, here's the thing. Those crackers aren't good. Don't eat them. But if you're a believer in Jesus, you are saying that God has symbolically done something sacred in you when you eat that. When you drink of that juice, which is Welch's. And I didn't look at the date when it was poured. When we drink it, we're saying that we symbolically remember what God did for us when he shed his blood for us. So the band's going to lead some music in a minute. We're going to take communion. If you're a believer, take it. Remember that God meets you in that desperate place. Look, there's all types of tense conversations about what it means to be, for our heart to be right. You may just be desperate right now as a believer because you're struggling. Remember. You don't have to clean yourself up enough. Jesus does that. So we're going to take the cup and we're going to drink uh, or drink the cup. We're going to take the bread as the band leads. Move and it, as when they begin to play, grab that. Jerry will tell you when to eat and when to drink. And if those aren't things that you're okay to do, that's okay. I can give you a gift card to Chick-fil-A. If it was Sunday, if it was Monday, you could go today. But take this and remember if you're a believer, all that God has done for you in Jesus. And here's what I'm going to say. I know, because I, I interact with some of you enough, that some of you guys are in hard places. I'm in the back corner of the room. I'd love to pray for you. I think we need to pray for each other more than we do. So if you've got a friend in the room who's going through something hard and you know that, feel free to go pray with them right now. And if they're not going through something hard, they'll, they'll tell you to leave them. Jesus, you are who we need. You meet our needs. You satisfy our needs. You're our hope, despair, and need. And God, right now, some of us may be sitting at a place where we symbolically are seeing you feed 20,000 people. But God, some of us may be staring at a small, small loaf in a boat. And I pray that you have not stopped being God. I pray that we know that. I pray that we realize that, that we see that. And that you meet us in the midst of our need. You are good and you provide and you care and you love. And Lord, if we are in a place where we're struggling to see that, let us remember all that you have done. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Again, I'm in the back right-hand corner of the room if you need me.